Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Well, good morning and God's morning to you. Happy Thursday. Happy Jesus and Paula show day. Uh, yay, we made it another week. I tell you what, does anybody ever feel like you've lived a month and a week? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you look up and sometimes you say, oh, it's already another week. And then other times you're like, it's only another week? <laughs> Just seven days, not 14 in the last seven? It's amazing how much God can squeeze in. You really don't think your life can handle a lot until a lot happens to you. I don't. I remember my early years of being Dr. Price, by Dr. Price's life, and you. I thought oh, I just can't handle one more thing. Oh, I don't even know how. And then one more thing happened, and then one more thing was added, and then another thing was added, and then three more things were added, and I said, Oh, so your life is really like Gumby. It'll just stretch as you stretch it and your capabilities or it'll constrict and just retract as you do and and unless you're just very stubborn where you sabotage your life so that you you keep it small anytime God tries to make it big or give you an opportunity to go big we we learned this a long time ago uh, when people would go through financially or going through this hardship and we find out they passed over promotions on their job because I don't want, I don't, oh, I just don't want to be in leadership. I don't want to be on call. I don't want to be the person that people call when other people don't show up. It says everybody. I mean, nobody really wants to be that person, really. And so they pass up all of these opportunities, not recognizing that God was trying to set them up to have prosperity later. And then something happens. You still have the small paycheck. Hours get cut, your shift gets adjusted. See, if you are a manager, you're always going to work. <laughs> if you are not, then, well, we'll see what we can find for you. And, and later on, so we learned to investigate, and even myself over the years had to really, really see how the Lord expanding and expanding or your job or opportunities and how people will avoid opportunities that will put a demand on them not realizing they're setting themselves up for a warfare later. Look at 2020, everything that happened. How many people were supposed to start their own businesses in 2019, 2018, 2017, be fully independent by the time you got to 2020, up and running, doing whatever, didn't do it. We saw things economically that we just knew we would never see in the United States of America. And then around the world. And so uh, it's so important to even recognize when you're just trying to stay comfortable, homeostasis, whatever your homeostasis is. And, and so people ask me all the time, when do you sleep? I'm like, well, we have the day after Thanksgiving off. Thanksgiving, day after Thanksgiving is Christmas. <laughs> and you just run down the holidays, really kind of as a joke. But uh, it, it, whatever is important to you is what you find energy for, period. 
There are people who say they don't want to work late hours but will stay up half the night watching television. So it's really not about you being asleep or whatever. It's about you being in control of what happens with your time, not wanting to be stressed, not wanting to be stretched, not wanting to be what you define as overtaxed, and yet crying to God when you need to be overtaxed in order to make your life work, and it's not there the way you want. And so what I love about this organization is it stretches you. People look at the training program, and they have to go pray and think about, do I want to sign up for this? Because you know it's not passive. This isn't passive learning because we're not raising up passive leaders. Well, if you're a leader, you're not passive. So those two things really don't go together, but we put them together, figurehead leaders and, and people at the top of whatever just to be there. And so the training program here is designed to prepare you for the world in which you will enter as an apostle, as a prophet, intercessor, fivefold minister, the rest of the fivefold. It's heavy out here, saints, when you're doing it right. We saw last year just taking a stand for the righteousness of God. Fired a lot of people. He fired. Come on, we saw the prophet release the thing that they dissolved in the whole ministry. After much prayer, we're just taking all the Facebook pages, we're taking everything down, and we're, re- we're rebranding and relaunching it. You've been fired. Say, this is, that's, that's prophet speak for I've been fired. And you just kind of say God is leading you in a whole other direction that's not to be a prophet. You're no longer on the books. It, these are serious, serious times. And today's highlighted product for you is the Prophets Ministry Starter Kit, which you can find, well, we'll show you online where you can find it. Uh, And it's the starter kit. You have the three books. Oh, here we go. I was like, where's the third one? Dr. Price's most recent Assessing Your Prophetic Self. Excuse me. Assessing Your Prophetic Self, the Prophets Dictionary. Come on now. Old Faithful and the Prophets Handbook along with three other articles, downloads, PDFs, downloads, and something else, I think, for $99. That's a starter kit. If you want to prove that you're ready to be serious, start with the starter kit. If you have a friend, gift it. Gift it to other people and say, this is what you need to take your prophetics to, let's just say, the beginning level. (laughs) Maybe you don't have a next level because you're still trying to find the first level. Take it to the first level and really invest in your training because you have got to invest in your future, in yourself, and take yourself seriously. This kind of thing, and we've seen it uh, in many, many years with our students who have been able to just sail through other training programs elsewhere. I have a master's in this, and I have this and that, and I don't even know what. And then they come to this and say, I don't know why this is hard because this These mantles, the apostle and the prophet, not passive learning. You don't um, technically just pick up a technique to be an apostle or a prophet. And in many other careers, you pick up a technique. You master techniques. You master systems. You master flows. And even though, of course, we have divine order, but with that, you have got to be destroyed in order to be rebuilt and remade. Uh, It's like in what? Star Trek. Resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. (laughs) And it's the only way to really, really make these offices work. You actually have to empty yourself. 
of the old and not just add to, and we want to add to it. I'm just going to add to uh, what I knew before. God used me in so many mighty ways, and I'm sure he has. He has placed me in all these other places, and I'm sure he has. But for this assignment, what is required is different than even what it took to get to this place. Hard reset. Hard reset. We emphasize both words. Look at Paul, what it took from going from Saul to Paul. Total dump of the old to become the new. Even Jesus had to go through his wilderness experience to dump his flesh to take on his divinity on earth and his sovereignty. He had to do it. And so if he had to do it as God in the flesh, how much more do we? And we really think that we can bypass the wilderness experience and the wilderness process because of previous experiences and anointings and and all these other things. You see, with the Lord, he what? He dumped and then became. Even though he went through all the preliminary training, he had to go to obedience school. (laughs) Heavenly Father's like, son, don't forget the plan. You know, teenagers. And, And it seems that Jesus, he was that too. Don't forget the plan. And go go submit. Go do. It's not yet time for all of this. And obviously it was first nature to him. For us, we're trying to get it to be second nature. But it was his nature. That's all he knew. And so when you go through the process of being chosen, not just called, and then that elevation, you have the purging. You have the scrubbing. You have that Esther. We, we have so romanticized half of this Bible, especially if a female is involved in the story. And we have turned it into a romantic moment. It's just so well, Esther, when I with the king. It's just so romantic, Ruth and her Boaz. You're just going to go out there and get you a rich man. And, and come on, we have missed the whole point. Forget half. We've missed the whole point. And Esther, when she was chosen, went through the scrubbing, soaking process. That could not, first of all, everything back then was harsh anyway. And so when we think about it, we think about like she went through six months of, of bath bombs. Just put some bath bombs in your porcelain tub. And he's just going to soak it in and wait for your hot date with the king. No, man. Come on. You know that they scrub. Abrasive. Think about your grand. I think about my grandmother and what she did with us. Uh, it's amazing we have skin on our bodies. Is this, what is this, bristles? Is this comet that you are putting so we don't have ashy elbows and knees? Well, am I the only one? Come on, back in the day, you can't, you can't be ashy. I, I'm going to be bleeding is what I'm going to be. And so that process, so you know way back the process for you smelling. It had to come out of your pores. You just had to smell great when you were sweating, which back then they should not have been sweating because you shouldn't be exerting yourself at that level of royalty. But it had to come out of your pores. It had to be your essence of who you are. You can look now at people who take exceptional care of themselves. Their skin shows it. You're like, ooh, you use those, those high-end products, the expensive ones. And you do, you have your skin care twice a day. Listen, I'm trying to hit it once. I'm trying, okay. Sometimes I'm like, mm. <laughs> okay. And to be prepared to go from being somebody in the street to meeting with royalty is not like how we do with the leaders of our nation. Come on, we have people meet with the president in your flip-flops and your T-shirt, and you come on and let's bust open a beer. Let's do whatever. Mm -mm, Nope. 
you come before a king, you're coming before a sovereign, you, everything about commonality has to be scrubbed away. Everything about mainstream has got to be stripped away. And so when we're talking about serving the Lord on this level, the essence of the world has got to be stripped away. The essence of the doctrines and the belief systems that got us in the mess that we are in right now has got to be uprooted and removed. And you don't even know how deeply somebody is, uh, something is rooted in you until it's time to bring it out. Because roots, what, they intertwine, they intermesh, they wrap around other things. And so if we're talking about ourselves, it's in your soul. You have memories tied to that doctrine. You have friendships tied to that belief system. You have some of the greatest experiences in your life, possibly how you came to the Lord, in something that God is now going to uproot out of you and say, well, that's not going to work for where I'm sending you. It got you this far, but it's not going to take you to where I need you to be. And I would say that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where people fish or cut bait when they have to accept or realize, no, I'm not willing to say I was wrong or my life was wasted, even though it wasn't, because God's still going to come back and use it. Oh, great, now that that's not ruling you, let's go back to that. And you're like, what? I thought I had to dump it. You did dump it, but now we could still use it on the outside of you, not governing you from the inside. But you really do have to stay with it all the way through. Oh, man, it is so exposing working for the Lord. We like to talk about working with the Lord, right? Like with. I go to the store with my friends. I don't know if I'm going to go to the store for my friends. Especially if I'm not already going. Hey, are you going already? Why? I need you to pick up a few things. What? (laughs) I don't want this to become a habit or a routine. See, and so with God, we love working with the Lord, don't we? I I work with God. I work with God. And then he says, yes, but now you are going to work for me. Oh, I don't know if that's God. (laughs) I don't feel the love in that. Where's the love of the Lord working for? Where's the biblical precedent? Now you're going to talk about precedent. Where's the biblical precedent for that? I don't know if I agree with that, Apostle Ashley. Okay. Well, that's fine. Your disagreement does not nullify how it's going to be. It's like kids with their parents. Well, I just don't think that I should have a curfew. Well, I don't think that I should have to pay for your life living here, but I do. See, when you have real parents, they will say that to you. Oh, you don't want to pay for my life? I surely do not. I would rather have my money buy me a new car. <laughs> Listen, the mother's in the room. Oh, yes. No, no. Take myself on vacation. I'd rather not do back-to-school shopping for you. You just outgrew the $3,000 worth of clothes I just bought two and a half months ago. I do not want to spend my money on you. I want to spend it on me. Oh, and this is how, and so, and so, and I'm just telling you what I've heard in my own house. I didn't have that mom who her stuff was my stuff kind of thing. Don't I don't want to see my jewelry on you. You're not going to wear my clothes. You're not going to go through my things. You're not going to wear my perfume. This is mine because I bought it and paid for it. That's yours because your grandparents gave it to you. 
Did you see the difference? <laughs> and, and so with the Lord, we'll do so many things with him until he says, now you're going to do this for me. Who will go for us? So you're going to do this for me. Uh, for you. Yes, Lord, I can do that for you. And when you do something for someone else, if you really care about them, you're going to do it their way, not your way. This is when you find out what your motives really are and if they're pure. We had uh, Prophet Tala liked a certain kind of Bible coming up, and she loved it. Had it, it fell apart. And, uh, and one of our other friends wanted to buy her a real Bible, a woman. And I said, that's not what she's asking for. I mean, I just think that she should have. That's not, if you're going to ask somebody what they want, then give them what they're asking for. Didn't do it, and then got so mad that Bible sat on the shelf for quite a while. That's not what they ask. You see, we do that with God. I'll do it for you, Lord, my way. No, this is how you do my calling, one way. This is how you do this office, one way. But I have ideas. No, it's my thoughts are your thoughts. <laughs> my ways are your ways. You decrease so I can increase, says God. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I am, I am, I am. I am. You start running down the resume of all the things you've done for the Lord, your way. And you don't realize that all along you've been doing this for the Lord, your way. Why you've had maybe this success or this kind of blowback or this kind of setback or all along. And so you get to a point with him where he says, you're going to do this my way or no way at all. That's what we call the last chance, the end of the road. This is, your subscription is no longer renewing on this. And so with him, he says, you're going to do this my way. And that is when you find out if you ever did anything God's way or not. And all of a sudden, you label labeling it warfare and my least favorite line. I don't know what it is about when I joined your ministry that all of a sudden, my life just went to hell. What happened was, what had happened was, when you came here, the hell that was hiding in your life came to the forefront. We didn't slap flames on you. That was, it was hiding. It was already there, right? It's called advisements. We know. <laughs> and, so, and so you want to blame coming into a real strong ministry, especially apostles. Ah, I don't know what it is. Oh, my goodness. It's, listen, it's all these dormant devils hiding out in your life that now can't hide anymore. They're kicking up that word, that truth, that light is shining on them, and they're screaming and squawking, just like when Jesus was walking the planet. And he was like, shh, shut up. Look, in the name of, well, me. <laughs> okay? Shut your mouth. And it's the, the same kind of thing. When Jesus Christ for real steps up on the scene, you will find out how many devils are in your life. And so when you start going to a church that doesn't play with devils, the ones that you've been playing with get very aggressive. They get very unhappy because they see they're about to exit stage left. And they, they're like, oh, no, no. So they start talking to you about leaving, building up a case for you. Uh, certainly uh, offense is the easiest way. And then all of the doubts that you always had all of a sudden have come to the surface to validate and verify your suspicions all along. And the next thing you know, you have a backpack by the door. 
because your devils don't want to go, and you don't want them to go either. And so you're going together, entertaining, meditating on all these thoughts, wondering why you're struggling. You come in the prayer line, you so small because you think, oh, I'm going to get the, the, the newest intercessor, the lowest level person who's going to stay out of my business, and they run it straight down because God is only saying one thing, and you stonewalling them in the prayer line mad. I'm talking about another church, of course, not the congregation of the body, because our saints are much more mature than that. And you're still walling and stepping over people and rolling your eyes, rolling your eyes at the intercessor or the prophet in the prayer line, mad. And it's like, oh, how can you, <laughs> grumbling and all, I mean, we misbehave. You can tell when you are demonically influenced because you just misbehave in the presence of God. Because that's what devils do. They act out when Jesus shows up. How do you know you need deliverance? You acting up. <laughs> You're acting out. Acting out. Having an adult temper tantrum at the, at the things of God. The things of God. Not all these other things, just the things of the Lord. This is how I know when I need deliverance. I'm like, ooh, why is that getting on my nerves? Why don't I want to hear that? Why don't I want to hear that? And you really have to want to live in the truth in order to have that be your question. Why don't I want to be corrected? Why don't I want to be sharpened? Why don't I want to be made excellent? Why do I want to be left alone in my ways? Uh, why do I have an issue with so-and-so every time they call my name, I get tense and tight? What is that all about? Hmm. See, those are the subtle things. We want this whole overt, but you have to challenge and question your responses and question your attitude and question to say, now, why did I act like that? Why don't I want somebody to touch that issue? How come that message made me mad? Why did I choose anger? Why did I choose offense? Why do I believe that I don't have to go through due process to earn my position? Why do I feel like previous things that I've done should just count for a whole lot more than they do? See, because people come with their testimony, but when we go talk to the people you work for, they give us a different one. Yeah, well, you know, they were problematic here, too. You might want to look out because we always give ourselves a shining review, don't we? I worked with so and so and thus and what for 10, 15 years, and I wasn't. And you're like, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. And then you bump into so and so's old leader later. Oh, yeah, we know. Yeah. yeah, look out for that one. Oh, really? Why do you say that? Do tell. Oh, they talk a good game, but that attendance got a little. Well, when the job happened to, you're like, oh, okay. And so uh, we, our report is always glowing. I mean, our testimony of how we serve the Lord is always spotless. I had perfect attendance with the Lord. I did everything he wanted the way he said with him. I got fruit. I gave him fruit that he could work with. Because, see, if we look back at who's lying in your wake of your life, how much of that fruit can God use? How much is he still using? And do you still have people thriving? Did you ever have people thriving? Did you ever give God people that he can use or a product or uh, something, a business, a company, whatever, connections? It, it, what, what can he use from what you did? 
for all of that pomp and circumstance and self-appointed promotion, what is still existing that God can say, yes, but I actually am still using this thing that you have left in the earth? What are your seeds in the earth? What's your tree? Are you the barren fig tree? So pretty. So beautiful. Man, look at those leaves. No fruit. And here comes Jesus, mad as the creator. No fruit. You knew I was coming. This is how you know creation knows their God. You, they knew. He knew he was coming. He was hot and cursed that tree because he was not bearing fruit. It was not bearing fruit in the season of his arrival. And there are many of us who are not bearing fruit for the Lord in his season of visitation and arrival, wondering why he's moving on to somebody else. <clears throat> no fruit. And it's not about big numbers necessarily because, hey, I mean, look, the dictionary, you, have, you can produce a product. You can start a company, a service that people can use, a whole bunch of things that can be done besides Nothing. So you can look back in your life and you can tell God all the things that you did, but what can he still use now for what you did back then? Can he? Is there anything still growing, still thriving, still? Any, I mean, we can look at some of the ministers that we've known in all the years, and some of them have people that they can say, this is my spiritual son, this is my spiritual daughter, boom, 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 they're doing this. And then you have others. Not so much. As we say, God's a fruit man. He is a fruit man. What kind of fruit have you given him to say that you should be able to bypass the process now? Not just what have you done in your life, because a lot of us have done a lot of things for the world, so many things for the world, having given half of that energy to what God wants us to do, wondering why. And, and so I just want to, you know, ex- exhort, admonish, whatever you need today. Encourage. Some of you are about to hit the red button and blowing up your life. And I hear God say, don't do it because you blow this up. He said, I'm done. I am not obligated to work out another breakthrough. I'm not obligated to work out another open door. I am not obligated. You will sit in a church for the rest of your life. And some people are like 35, 40 years old, already have blown the last opportunity of God. So you'll be riding it out for another 30, 40, maybe 50 years. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, mad. Probably talking about some church hurt. <laughs> Most people cannot take responsibility for why their life is or is not where it is or is not, especially if it is not what they want it to be. <clears throat> and so we have got to understand you can push God to a limit to where you will not come back. He's going and the Lord moved on. And the Lord moved on. But God, I have to, and the Lord moved on. Let the dead bury their own dead. He was kind to give some an explanation while he was probably still walking. <laughs> okay? And so we cannot mess over our opportunities and keep thinking that because you've always had another opportunity that you will always have one. Some of those opportunities you created anyway. They weren't God. They were you. Because, hey, we're talented. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We can do a whole lot of things for the Lord. But can we do what he wants us to do? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? It's time to really mature and season in our outlook on him and in our approach 
and understanding this is his kingdom. It's like somebody coming into your house and deciding how it's going to go. Now, I know you say you eat dinner at 6. We're going to eat dinner at 9. I know you don't let your kids jump on the furniture, but you know what? I mean, parents have issues with that when the grandparents do that with the kids. And the grandparents think it's funny. And they're like, first of all, who are you? Because you're not the people who raised me. (laughs) But I send my children to your house, and you undo everything I've done. I mean, everything. It's one thing to, you know, you go to your grandparents, but my mother's mother wasn't that. She was my mother. And I was like, my dad's mom, she was great. Okay, Nana. Nana was the one you could just roll over, and she had the goodie and the treats and the whatever. Ida was Elaine. I was like, man, come on. We just want to be kids. No, because you're going to be an adult, and you're not going to tear up my house. Yeah. All right. And, and, had, and that's how we do with the Lord. We want in his house to do it any old kind of way that we see fit, ignoring his house rules, his house policies, protocols, procedures, because, hey, this is how we do it in my house. And it worked for me. It did not. Your house in disarray, all your kids a hot mess. Come on now, look. Did it? We're blind. We're blind to the reality of our own fruit. And then we want God to unleash us on his people. He's like, well, have we learned any lessons in the last couple of decades? We will see. So as we move forward in, in whatever today's topic is. It's going to be fun. She said it's going to be fun. You know, God's fun. Where's your clean next? Because <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> it's funny to God. It's it's not funny to me. <laughs> it's like that is so. What? <laughs> I just <laughs> hold on, huh? Right? Huh? What was? What was that? I mean, I listened to one of Dr. Price's broadcasts she did last week, one of the midweek ones, and I went back and listened to this one live like three times. I said, "Oh, this is why I do appreciate watching things not live." I was like, wait, hold on, <laughs> one more time, and then I wrote it down, I said, huh, and then you lean back for 30 minutes, this is a 30 minute broadcast, and you pass, you can't get past minute 13, and you're like, Woo! I need to pray, just one more time, yeah, that's still, okay. And then sometimes I have to listen to it till it doesn't hurt anymore. And then I know it did its perfect work in me. Grace did its perfect work. Oh, Lord. You know, the interesting thing about what you were saying, and I really appreciate your conversation about readiness. You know, we have, and I'll keep saying it, we have this whole thing called that in our minister's training called hidden despise for the things of God. Yes. If you're a leader, or you are just a person who's mentoring and coaching, because sometimes not all leaders mentor, not all mentors lead. Uh, I know we assume as much, though, so you clash with your mentors and your leaders because you think that they're the same thing with different names. But that's not necessarily the case. You see? You see? <laughs> Already. Go ahead. And so, but when you think about it, um, when you are uh, when you're a leader, the one thing true leaders show is a need or competence at the least. Mm. That's at the least. I mean, 
you know, aside from capability, you know, we have, um, I have something in, my, in the back of my book, wherever my book is. Yeah, that one. Um, in the back of my book, Assessing Your Prophetic Self, we have, um, I have on page, for those of you who have the book, and I think that it's, hold that for me. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I have the 15 things that you really want to master if you're going to lead. And master as a perspective. You know, people have a lot of conversations, and those conversations they picked up along the way. You know, I picked this up. You know, I like what Dustin was said, whatever. But when you are a leader called by God, God has a, a, a real constructional infrastructure for you. You are built for what he wants you to do. Yes. And and you know you're you're that because people are always trying to change you. Yeah. Ooh. Oh my. I just thought I'd say that. I'll do it. Go ahead. I'll take it from my belt. I got it. Mm. From a little kid, people are trying to change you and they're trying to get you to go along to get along. The battle we're having today and and also what, what I call the crisis of leadership today is based on natural-born leaders being conform, conformed or converted to sub- submissive followers. So even though they lead, like we have people in government who say they're our leaders, but they're following something else mm-hmm. that's called by someone who has a greater shot or greater power. But when you are born to lead, there are certain things that you are working on no matter what, and it's always like that. And and, and I've had little kids, like little children, who cry. But I don't want to do that. But that's not how it goes. You will always know that kid that's going to hold their own mind. That kid is going to tell you that's not how it goes. Now, you have the tantrum that will say that's not fair. See, that's, that's, that's the kid who just wants to have their way. Because they don't know what fair is or isn't. But that kid, because, see, that's not fair is an emotional statement from a kid. But that's not how it works or that's not how it goes or I can do it and I can make it work. Daddy, it doesn't go like that. Mommy, that doesn't go there. That is a kid with a very clear picture of how things should be structured from their little mind. Yes. Yeah, true. So, you know, you can listen to those children. A lot of teachers will tell you they know that kid is going to leave. Mm-hmm. That kid, that, that little kid that can't even put, you know, two and two together is going to leave the room. Yeah, but that's not how we do that. No, no, oh, we don't yeah. line up like that. No, and, and, and the kid can be bullied and can't stop. But in my book, I have um, on page, I think this is a wonderful leader's page, on page 154, there was a word cloud there that says 38 human capital suites and 38 things that make a leader. Now, we'll talk about that when I do my leader's class, but I call them 38 human capital C-suites because I, I, for your sake and for memory, I put everything under a C and it's the capital. So there, there are 15 of them are listed in the book. And I want, to share, I want to share this with you because you can talk all day long to a person who is a non-leader and persuade them that you're a leader. But a real leader knows the sound. And the real leader knows the language. And the real leader knows the questions. And they, they know the answers you give. And so a lot of people, because, you know, we've had this whole, you know, 
uh, psychological thing that a leader can be taught. No, no, no. A technical, a technician can be taught. Mm-hmm. A native has got to be nurtured and developed, and they're going to clash with that technician. Mm-hmm. And as long as you have, see, this is what we saw. We saw a lot of technical leaders, aspiring leaders who were taught the technique, who could not bear up under the trauma and under the, the weight, the gravity of pushback. They can't come up with solutions. See, leaders are going to have plan one, plan A, to plan alpha, to plan the omega, and they're going to keep doing it. But not the, the one that succumbs and get along. Do you want to know how we did not do this, how the vote went the way it went? Because those were technical leaders. Mm-hmm. They were technicians. And so as they could do, they were more of the out fronters than they were the leaders. And I could, I could, I can wear the leader robe. I can wear that. I don't care if it's in church, in the world, in business, whatever. I can wear the attire. I can put the facade on. And as long as you don't ask me to vary the technical um, uh, principles and the technical actions or practices I learned, then I'm okay. But that instinctual ability to rebound, to come back, to counter and counter and counter and keep up, that is born in people. They either have it or they don't. They can see things more than one way. There are, now when you say, and when I say leaders, I'm talking about those starting from that visionary all the way down to that that team leader. Now, the magnitude of which they can do it may vary because if you're just a team leader, you're not going to have superstars on your team. (laughs) I mean, I'm talking about in in terms of just, you know, on the floor, your work floor, whatever, workflow. But if you are a team leader, and you are one of those people who can handle high things. Real leaders, I mean, quality followers will come to you. Yeah, they will. If you got to keep telling people you're a leader, it's probably because you're not. <laughs> because people seek great, you know? And it doesn't have to be, your, your team doesn't have to be 500 strong. Your team can be five. Mm-hmm. But you can have five people who do two things. Number one, recognize that you have the capacity to make their agreement with you and surrender of their will worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And that's something you, they either get by instinct or they get by gut or they get by God. Now, and then you have the others that you got to keep bossing around and you got to keep telling them what to do. They don't, they're not looking for a leader. They're looking for a front runner. Huh. Because cooperation is instinctive. Hmm. Now you can com- you can mandate it, but that that doesn't mean you're going to get the best. It just means, okay. And so we're going to put this up, up up on the screen. But um, just for you to understand the idea, the mind. Let me just get this over here in the right place. Can I get it in the right place? But you have to recognize that people. You know, she's talking about it. True leaders want to learn. And they don't just want to learn from themselves. They want to learn how to do it and how those, the greats before them, got it done. Because there is something to be learned from every preceding generation. That's the issue with this generation. It doesn't want to learn from anybody because it considers itself an inventor. It considers itself an originator of something that's been in existence for like ages. I listen. I listen for the to the ones who will listen and learn. I listen to the ones who will turn around and say to me, you know, um, okay, so how does this work? I look at who shows up and who doesn't. 
That's one of the major things you should know about a real leader. They're going to show up for training. MIAs mean to be mistakes more than often enough because they're running on their instincts and their impressions, mm. not on anything else. So I, like, I really appreciate learning. I, I buy all kinds of books to, to learn because even though God gives me amazing information, I don't know how amazing it is until I see it in print somewhere. Yeah. That's why research, revelation needs research to be confirmed. So a lot of a lot of people they so enjoy what they think is um on the spot osmosis training from God they enjoy it so much they don't care whether it's right or wrong whether it's a devil whether it's a teacher whether it's a memory whether it's the influence of a friend the lingering words of a last conversation what the favorite television said they don't care to prove where they got it from so they I mean because you don't you don't want to verify it mm. so when we think about it and we think about how this is gonna go. And, how, and the way God is going to do this, hallelujah, I think I got the right one. I, let me make sure, Rachel, because i got to make sure this is safe for you. Uh, I got it. Oh, okay. Just so you can see it. <laughs> hallelujah. But um, the most recent thing, it comes up, right? Yeah. There you go. So here's the thing I want you to understand, and that is today we have a crisis of leadership because we have technical leaders. Mm-hmm. They taught and trained. Because uh, when, when, when you're born, it, training is a matter of unlocking, mm-hmm. unleashing, and, un, and understanding how you're made. When we do our assessment, it tells us the kind of leader a person is. It tells them whether or not they can lead a group or whether or not they can lead an organization where they fit. And, and it's important because we've got all of these people who've written all of these books that, that so those textbooks make good money for a lot of people, and in and in a, a time of peace, they work. Mm-hmm. It's your leadership is not worthwhile until it can survive crises, and you can bring more than you out of it successfully. Mm-hmm. Ooh. See, that's that's when you know. You know, and you could talk about, we can talk all day long about the parents who had the well-behaved kids that just never fussed about homework, ate all their food and cleaned their room, and that's great. You produce a good kid, that's wonderful. But understand, that parent who has to take that kid, who would give them nothing but hardship one day and still bring that kid into a functional, prosperous adult existence, that's a different kind of parent. Mm -hmm. And you learn a lot from that resistance. You learn a lot from having to negotiate and counter and counter and counter and on you go. And so when I talk about leadership, the first thing I want to say to you about leadership is I'd like to modify just a little bit, just a little bit, the classic definition of leadership or authority, which, which should be paired, should be. Now, I say should be because you can have power and not have authority. Or you can be a powerless authority, which is what we're looking at right now. Wow. Wow. Because somebody is, because all authority is derived, so we need to know where it's coming from. Wow. So classically, you know, a leadership is getting something done through people. Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's good. That's, that's simple. But truly, true leadership understands that you are getting people to entrust their will to do something else to your vision, your mission, and your plan. Leadership requires constant persuasion. 
because you're asking people to lay down theirs to pick up yours, to sidestep theirs to pick up yours, or to see what they are called to do in what you get done, in what you're called to do. And it's a, it, it is constant. And so most people, if, if you're getting paid, you're paying people. We have those people, well, I pay you to do what I want. Well, that's good. And, and they'll love it as long as they have, don't, you know, continue to find something to do with your money. Once they are content, they're pretty much going to push back because leadership is actually employing the will of another person to engage them in what you're called to do. Because when people will not, they won't, and they're gone. So there has to be a lot of persuasion, a lot of vision crafting, and a lot of coagulation of attributes and temperaments and all of that. And you've got to start with people's hope. What do you hope for? Jesus said, I know. You know, and through Jeremiah, he writes, and I know y'all think that, so let me get it right. Jeremiah says, you know, Jesus is the Lord and the prophet, but I'm going to go on. That's another class. But he said, but I know the thoughts that I have for you to give you a future and a hope. Those are almost synonymous when you're talking about people surrendering their independence and individuality and all of that for a a good or a project that they feel will net them more in return than what they can do alone. He said, to do you good and not evil. Now, that's the leader of leaders. The first thing people have to see is the future in serving you. The next thing people should see, must to see, if you're going to keep them, is their hope fulfilled in the end. I think the greatest example was David when David got near the end. And he had won all of the battles, all of the things he fought. The man had been injured, wounded. We don't even know how he entered a rose to the throne with all of his limbs. Yes. We're not sure he had all of his organs. But he fought. I know we, t- we paint the story of David as if he was a, a superhero that never took a blow, never took a wound, or anything like that. That is not what David says. When you read the Psalms, you see that this man wore like crazy. He had to believe God when he was sick, when he was wounded, when he was ever. He talked about pussy sores. He talked about limbs that don't work. He talked about terrors of night, night terrors. He can't sleep, and he still has to get up and make the people believe that God is still with him, and he's still with God, and they're both still winning. Looks really bad, but we're winning, and we're winning because God is one. And so when you read Psalm uh, 16, and he talks about, I want to say Psalm 16, I might be wrong, but he said, but the Lord said to my Lord, I mean, that, that he was at my right hand, that I would not be moved. David said Jesus fought with him. He saw the Christ. And scripture talks over and over again about all of these high leaders, these, these ones that made God my eternal work. Jesus was there. For us, we've got to know that. You've got to know that Jesus is at your side and has your back, not just waiting for you to get to heaven like he was with Stephen the Mike. I need to know that you're not waiting for me to stone to death, Jesus. Come on. <laughs> Honey, but sweetheart, I need you to come on, Lord. Amen. So the point that I want you to get is that you can, you can bribe people, and as long as that bribe is meeting a need, it works. You can terrify people, and as long as that terror 
is worth their surrender, their self-preservation, it'll work. You can abuse, you can bully, but in the end, the human will is the most cagey, wily thing that a leader has to contend with because you never know when it turns. You never know when people's will to survive, will to thrive, will to be free, will to stand. You never know when that will happen. And Lord knows, don't let that thing become a collective power. Because you can't. That's when you talk about taking plowshares and beating them into weapons. Because these people, and so I learned very early in my teaching on uh, Soul of Success, I learned very early about, you know what, people will do what they will do. That's the one faculty God gave us all to, that, that determines how we live life and how life lives us. And so, and how people will live their lives through us, that human will. We've had people, we've given them the best of training. I mean, we all know it, the best of training, the best of whatever, um, you know, schooling, the best books, best environment. And where are they? They're on the side of the road with a, a, a shopping cart full of junk. Mm-hmm. Brilliant mind. Mm-hmm. All right? Yeah. Yeah. Detrimental will. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to say, how much a person wants to or prizes being in control of the number one faculty that causes them to rise and fall. And then will they use that faculty for good or not? And then lastly, will they use that faculty to cooperate with others when compliance gets on their nerves? Because there's going to be a time you're not going to want to comply, but something has created in you the idea that if I continue to cooperate, I can outlive this, this compulsion, this obsession, this um, compunction, and I can move into the engagement of my will for the good of why I surrendered it. Even the Lord Jesus, people do not go to heaven. The people do not fail to go to heaven because they're victims. They fail to go to heaven because they will to go to hell. Because your will will make you comply, but it will also make you conform. It'll make you convert. It'll make you con, 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 con. You will change when you want something. You want to live in a new neighborhood, and you move in there with all of your, you know, former neighborhood nonsense, and you get a visit from the neighbors. And so this whole tactic that today, the crisis of leadership is unprof- uh, that the people are persuaded to choose destruction more than construction, to choose devastation more than defense. This is a, a, it's, a it's literally, it's a, it's, I would say mind thing, but the mind obeys your will because your will is the executor. It's going to do, it's going to prioritize and rank things according to what you say you need to thrive, to survive, exist, to prosper. That's what your will is going to do. And when I'm dealing with people, I have to go back and say, yeah, but see, I know you say you want that. Because people really do tell you. If you listen, you said out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. So they tell you. But you get the arrogant ones that say, yeah, but I can change that. And you probably can. But when people are, when things stop is when you get this person who says, I will not, and it's worth everything to me, 
not to. That means you're talking about a person that you're wasting your time with, and that's the kind of leaders we used to have. The great leaders in our history used to say, no, I'm not. We, we will, no, that's not happening. I think about Hezekiah, you know, because I'm reading my little Bible saying Hezekiah, and I mean, he's got, he's got the commander of the host that they've been in the siege for years. Years, they're not letting food come in and go out or anything. Because, see, we, y'all reading them little Bible stories with those little, those little Lego slings and David slingshot. See, that's where you are. You don't realize that this, where we are today, is 100% biblical. It's ethically biblical. 100%. You can, we can project the next move if we, if we follow that. And, and Hezekiah says to God, he, the guy says, this is the thing that got me. The guy says, um, what God? I've taken down every God in the planet. There's not a God that can deliver you out of my hand. He said, not what? Who is this God? It's kind of like, I want to meet him. I want to meet the God that thinks he can take me out. I got a whole city full of the God that I have conquered. I've got a nation full of the gods that I have conquered. Somebody's going to hear what I'm saying. Are we not there yet? What God is going to deliver you out of my hand? That's what we are. That keeps happening in history. We're not talking about because the last generation doesn't know anything but the wind. The next generation, midway through, and when they get midway through, they realize that the wind had to have something called the tension. We had to keep the enemy at bay. And so he says that. And so God is what people don't know because you, in your mind, you know, God's not real and he's not that. You know, and I, it cracks me up when people say that because I'm thinking, if God's not real, why isn't your life 100% the way you want it? You don't look 16. You've got wrinkles on your face. All your stuff done dropped and plopped, trying to run down to the grave. Okay? You've taken all kinds of treatments and carrying on to give the impression that the law of sin and death that the God that you say doesn't exist implemented in his planet. You can't even say, I'm not dying today. You're going to your wedding, and guess what? Your car go off the road. So who, who was that? Well, I just don't believe in a supreme being. But I don't know why you, you think you're supreme. And you can't, you can't manage you. You can't manage your life. If, I mean, if we look at all of these power structures, God, they're like, okay, well, we, we, built, we built towers that can't, you know, a natural disaster can't take out. We've done this and that. I was like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? First of all, God take it, can take you out with a fly. Let that fly lodge in the wrong place. So, so Hezekiah is saying this because Nebuchadnezzar, they're ready. We're taking you out. And I think it was them, because it, it happened twice. Might have the Syrians, because you know I'll be listening. I think the Syrians are my friends right now. Okay. And everybody's there. Because it's the Syrians. But, but the thing that got me was that they went to sleep and woke up the entire army dead. I said, what God? And today, because we are all, all the Christians have allowed all the other gods to have equal say, equal play, equal say. They don't understand that. And Hezekiah, was, the only reason they got saved was because the king did not adopt the other gods of his forefathers. 
That's the only reason they got saved. They didn't get saved because he was a smart guy. Not. Later on, him and God fighting about his health. But the point that I want you to get, it is, uh-huh. yeah, so naturally. And, oh, that's when he went home. He said, you're going to go home? This is so, po- man, God, I can't even get a prophetic word that's coming to me on that right now. But anyway, can't do it. But he said, I'm going to send you back. He's going home another way. Heard a crisis, calamity at home. Now, they had to be pretty bad for a king who's held the siege as many years as he's held to have to go back home. And this is the one you were talking about, too, in Second Kings 18? Yes. Yeah, like, like, cause my king is better. I'm a better king than he is. Yes. But see, God likes it when we let things go to the wire. And you know why? Because it sounds like God. I mean, if you knew, why didn't you get it? What? No, no. He said because I'm gonna make sure nothing escapes. Ah. That nothing escapes my hand. Yeah. Nothing escapes my judgment. So He lets things go to the wire so He can catch all He says, but I can catch all the crafty up. In uh, their craftiness, I appreciate it. Yes. You know, yes. all of it. So we are like, come on, Jesus. We all tired of suffering. God said, yeah, but that little guy over in the corner, he hasn't he hasn't played yet. Yes. You know how Symphony <laughs> Symphony is really really good. Isn't that wonderful? And I mean, blah, blah, blah. and then you got the little triangle. <laughs> that is the finishing thing. That one little triangle. It may, and it was like, cause you think it's all over, it's all quiet. We're ready to applaud, and he goes. And if you got an audition for that, that thing. And so God is going to wait until the last ding. We're going to get the cowbell, the doorbell, and the dinner bell. So it's important for us to recognize how God moves. This week I want to do some teaching on understanding how God moves, the hand of God. And God is not going to go ahead of the final adversary's play. The adversary has a final play, and while that's happening, when he had gotten to the point that he was ready to take, they were ready to breach the the wall, come in, take over his country, and because the king humbled himself. See, you have to understand, people don't always get it. That's why this whole people thing is wonderful, but they don't always get it. So the people, the king humbled himself. We are sitting here as the state right now with, with leaders that we put in power who drug us another way. They didn't care what we said. They didn't care what we wanted because they had already cut their deal with Sennacherib. And so you have, that's why it's important for people to have the right people in power, the right leaders in power, but to make sure you have a leader and not a front runner. Because we've been doing follow the leader, Simon said. And now we have to get to a point that we redefine leadership beyond the technician and beyond the charismatic. I said the technician and the charismatic, did you hear that? Beyond the persuasive talker. Because we, even though we didn't know, we didn't know until we went in crises that the person we chose didn't have the guts that we thought we voted on. And natural leaders have guts and grit. They're going to tell you, and that's no. No. And if God is using them, you can forget trying to change their mind. If God has gripped them, they're not changing. 
So I'm going to go back to our human capital. I'm putting on page 154 in the uh, assessing your prophetic self. And so the first one is criteria. Um, the first, well, let me read this. Human capital C-suite inventory. So take an inventory on where you are. Now, we have a, a gauge that we can, you know, help you do this. You can gauge and see where you are to see which ones you need to beef up and which ones not. Now, the following is, uh, the following is, uh, is stated in simplified terms for you to grasp and utilize for future use. They should become part of your critical thinking, analytics, and a valuable processes. Concentrating on them keeps you objective and balanced and identifies areas you want to develop or improve. Exploring them and assessing yourself by them regularly will help you with your self-check. All leaders want to self-check. We, are, we have to check ourselves. And that's God. God said if you would check yourself. I mean, you're talking about the Almighty, talking about his word of the tribes every time. Who was this professor? Okay. Who was the assessor? Who was the evaluator? We don't know. And he said, the 15 capital C's along with myself are coined descriptions are, 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 that you see to your advantage. Profitability. I'm sorry. Let me go back. The 15 Human capital C's, along with my self-coined descriptions, that see to your advantage, profitability, benefits, and success on earth are. And we have 15 of them. So I'll say capital one. I'm not going to say it again. And capital is used to let you know that there's a, a currency and a, a, there's a valuable currency attached to your attributes. That's how you make money. People did not hire you because you were cute. Well, if you're a model, they probably do. All right. Capital One criteria, these are your normables, the things that you do every day that get you through your life, and they're based on a set of criteria that you are not aware of or you don't remember consciously compiling. You don't remember. It's just what you do. But So you'll have to take stock and say, what is it that I do normally that is not hard, that is not the, that does not require a lot of thought, but yet I can't stop doing it or it just comes natural to me? And then your holdables, capacity. Capacity is your holdables. This speaks to your retention. It speaks to your recovery. Mm. You know, because a lot of times we, I mean, streams and streams of information run through our lives every day. And situations happen every day. What do we hold on to it about it? And, and, and let's think about this. And what do we think is worth making them holdable? Because, see, again, everything about assessing yourself, assessing a leader is about worth and value. That's what appraisal is talking about, worth, value, return, protection. All of that goes into it. Can your leader protect you? You realize the church is in trouble today because they thought their leaders were going to protect them and realize that their leaders couldn't do so because they're technical leaders, charismatic leaders. You know, I listen to some of these young, young folks today who are out front leading, and I'm thinking, does anybody know that you, are, don't, that you don't make sense, that you really don't know what you're talking about? We have some, some really, but, you know, there's some good ones, not a lot. But usually the good ones have come from a quality mentor and a quality leader. You can tell you who, you can talk about or define the mentor of a leader by how their disciple or son or daughter and the Lord talk. So I know that your leader was kind of off because, well, you off. 
because you don't even know what leadership means. You can do that. Go ahead. All right? And, because, and it's important for you to recognize that, listen to them. Some of the things that they say, it's all, some of it is so pubescent. I'm like, if we took you off the pulpit and put you back in the classroom or sent you to the counselor's office, everybody would know that you sound pubescent. Your puberty is still developing. There's a lot of people, a lot of folk in leadership who haven't gone through puberty. Hormones off, irrationality, impulsive, you know, reckless. That, I mean, that's pubescent. There's a lot of this stuff that's pubescent. You know, my uh, my daughter, you know, Chief Prophet Tyler and I, we do a lot of talking about things like that. And she has an article I told her to send. She hasn't sent it yet, so if she's watching. <laughs> but you all need to look up emotional maturity and emotional immaturity because you're following leaders whose maturity faculties have not yet germinated. Forget mature. Look it up. Look up emotional because this is what I'm weighing about. I don't care how long you've been in the Lord. How, how mature are you emotionally? Amen. Because that's important. Some of you all, you sitting there, you following some kids just because they're young. They, now you realize that you didn't make much sense when you were that and some of you all are doctors, your teachers, your coaches, following kids that you wouldn't put on your team. And that goes back to hidden despite for the things of God. Nobody thinks that we ought to demand maturity from God's people. Now, Ephesians 4 11 says that. It says, so we all come into the measure and stature, the maturity of the man, Jesus Christ. Now, it says that's the goal. And yet you got somebody 16 you think going to get you there. You realize how irrational that is? That's irrational. That's illogical. Somebody who's still trying to figure out whether or not they are ready to finish high school or just came out of high school, I just decided to bypass this. You're you're sitting there with, with these kids who are immoral because you think that they should date and mess around as a teenager, and yet if they become an adult leader and do it, it's moral failure. The next one is capability, accessible, capability, which is your doables, what you can do with who you are and with what you're made of, what you can actually do. Now, that can be what you've been born with, but it also includes what you learned and picked up along the way. If you're going to assess a leader, you need to find out what they can do, how well they can do it, how often they can do it, how well or how long they can sustain the excellence or at least the usefulness. The next one is capability, which is your fitable. How fit are the people you want to use to do something? You have somebody who's out all the time. They are not fit. They might be, you know, wonderful, happy, cheerful but they're not fit. Every time you turn around, they're not fit. And when the big things come, where are they? They're off, emergency room, off, in the pill room, off somewhere, sleep, whatever. Or either, and it doesn't have to be physical because it can also be addictive, high. They need to, they cannot perform until they have certain, you know, substances to strengthen them. So you could have that. And then it can also be emotional. As long as the family life is okay, I'm fit for duty. But when my kid's unfit, then I'm unfit. 
when my wife has a problem, I'm, I'm, I'm sick. So you need to do that. We don't hold leaders to this any longer. Instead, we understand why they can't do it. And I'm telling you, I think companies are waking up to that and saying, wait a minute, now your, your family is your family. When we hired you, you said that was not going to be a problem. Now it's a problem? Let's, let's pull off the little thing. You signed off that this is not going to be a problem. Because if you've got 500 employees and 250 of them have family crises, where is your organization? If 125 of those 50, the 250 that are in crisis, are going to have to have sabbatical time and family leave, what are you going to do? Here's what's going to look like for you. This is what's going to happen, and it happens to churches as well. You're going to have 500 people on the road. You're covering salaries. You're covering benefits. You're covering health care. You're covering paid time off. So now you've got 250 people that you're going to have to pay for at least one-third of the year because their family stays in crisis. They're not good managers of their family, but you're paying them off your company. So that's the first thing. See, because family, immanageable family crisis says a lot about the family leader. In my, when I teach my class on leadership, I start with the first thing you learn to lead well is your life. You've got to lead your life. Because we use that phrase a lot, but nobody explores what it means. So now we've got 250 of these people that you are paying who cannot deliver a full year's service, but yet you're trying to build your bottom line. 125 of those people's families need paid time off. They need to use the benefits that you've been paying for them. And so they need paid time off. So now you have to pay them for not being there while you pay a tent to be there. So you have a job that you're paying twice as much for, and you're getting half the work because the tent doesn't know what the permanent worker knows. So now you have increased your salary because you're still, now you're paying these people. So you might as well have increased your staff because money is money. So you're paying these people to go take care of their family crises because some idiotic person came up with the law that says no matter what, people, people's families come first. That is, tell, tell me that when you talk to your police officers. Tell me that when you talk to your essential service people, your emergency service because we don't really believe that. We just wanted to, 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 to punch you enough so that we can end up bankrupting this country's economy. So now here's what happens. So you've got all of this extra money you've got to pay out for family, for people who can't manage family crises, and family crises you must take for for granted are authentic because you can't even prove it. You can't even verify it. You just trash it. Just just throw the money out the window. And then we turn around, and how do you recoup? Well, you're the company. You've You've got investors You've got people that you owe interest and dividends to. So who's paying that? Your public, your consumer. So now we get higher prices because so-and-so can't manage the kid, the bratty kid, or you don't did your one-night stand and ended up with something you don't know what you got. I'm just saying, somebody pays for everybody's way. Everybody's ways. Somebody pays. 
Moving on. And then we have after compatibility, we have consciousness. You're thinkable. As a man thinks in his heart, as a person thinks in their heart, that is who they are. You know, it's kind of nice to sit down and let people just free thought with you so you can hear some of the things that come out of their mouth. Because it said a good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings out good things, and a, and a wicked one out of the wicked treasures of the heart. But you need to know that. Because thoughts, thoughts are what people are motivated by. Thoughts are the product of your will's instructions on a particular issue or situation. So as they think and what they think about, you know, we went and said, well, it doesn't matter that, that somebody thinks about uncleanness all the time as long as they can do the job. Yeah, until they start now, they're starting to bring that uncleanness into the workplace because that's what they think. And they think that you should put a little nasty and a little dirty and a little foul and a little whatever until we end up with all kinds of perversion in your workplace. Place. you got this person sleeping around with 15 people, so you got 15 people mad can't do the job. Again, somebody pays for everybody's wage. And we need to figure out what is the wages. Jesus calls it the wages of sin. Sin has a wage. All that debt you win, that's the wage of sin. That's where the debt came from. Because when we were just simply pure, if you fit the job, we got you. If you don't fit, thank you for applying. We're going to get, wait till we get the person to fit. Instead of having somebody shovel in all of these incompatible and, and then, um, scrupulous people in your position, and now your company is suffering, and so are your customers. And this thing has been in place so long that now we're all living it, and we think it's, as we think it's normal. See, now we're going back to normal. Somebody changed the criteria of norm. And then we have character. You're behavioral. What, what motivates you to say yay or nay to this or that, to stay late, not stay late, to not steal the stapler, not take the paper home? Come on. Take the paper home, okay? Not hack your, your co-worker's computer to get their information to sell it. See, character. We don't even deal with character. What, what soul imprints are determining how you get what you want to have? See, the verb behave ends in half. You like that? I did. You'll see, I'm going to have to look at that three times. Behave. Have what you want to be. Behave. Have. I mean, have's not there by accident. So people act the way they want. You, you need them to act, to have what they want, to have their say, to have their way. Mm-hmm. A bratty kid wants to have something. The parent that indulges it wants that kid to, to demand what they want to have from them. Sometimes the parent is just afraid of the kid, but I don't want to, you know, I mean, because he might not like you. These kids don't like anybody. They won't like you until they're 30. Yeah. Trust me. I say you fortunate if they like you before you before they get to thirty. At thirty, they have an epiphany. I was a mess. You and my parents. We could have done better. Let's sweep it all and let's move on. Kid, that's it. People are trying to work out their life, trying to figure out how to live their lives, and try to negotiate how life is living them. And then we have completion. You're attainable. How many stop, start, start, stops do you have? And, I mean, you think about your companies. Let's use these companies again. 
how many projects that should have been done two days, but, but I'm out, I had to call, I got the this, I got the that, I got everything. Because crippling the thrival of a land is why all of these things are bred in its people, in its population. And making common sense senseless is how they do it. Number eight, compliance. You're cooperable. How, how, how often does somebody cooperate versus you go, I mean, you all have somebody on your job. They won't help you with anything. Won't, won't help you. They're not going to help you if they don't care. <laughs> and yet they're there forever. Everybody knows they're uncooperative. The whole company knows you cannot cooperate. Don't even bother asking Jane. She never helped anybody. And you ask her, and then she mastered that thing so well. When you ask her stuff, she asks like she can't hear you. Never changes. Keep on. All right. Jane Eats comes along, leaves alone. Eats alone. Not even going to cooperate for anything. If Jane needs something, she tells you that she needs it, expects you to get it done, and still will act like you can't ask anything of her. Yeah, it's true. Everybody got her. Yeah. You know? I just call it, you know, uncooperable Jane. Okay. <laughs> we have conformance. You're becomable. What you do outside is the result of what form or what you are allowed to form in you along the way for the position under certain circumstances. So you're formable. What formed you, made you who you are, that's what we're talking about. And it, 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 that's what you're becoming. So you go to a job, you you know, you know, the first day you're on a job, you're excited. You're like, wow, I'm going to do it right. Isn't it great? You're going to do everything all right. And then you got all of the old guard telling you, don't do that. In short, don't rock my boat. Don't fix my problem because my boat likes to roll and flow on problems that can't be fixed. Because if they can't be fixed, that means there's no demand put on me, which means I don't have to change, and, and we just keep things going. And I've got, I mean, we've got everybody under control. This is great. We got the supervisor trained. We got management trained. We got security trained. We, got, we even got the janitorial service trained. Everybody's trained. Don't come here rocking my boat. Don't try to fix the thing. And so your early times, you're like, but I'm hired to do the job this way. And you, they told you, you just got out of training. You enjoyed it. You did well in training. Then you do well. You did well in training. It was good. Isn't it wonderful? And then they put you in gym pop. And they're going to tell you all the training is stupid and useless. Now, it wasn't stupid and useless when they created it, but it, but they rendered it stupid and useless when they decide we're not going to honor it. We're not going to, we're going to retrain you. Now, we're going to retrain you to fail, and we're going to retrain you to get along, to go along to get along so that you can, you will not rock my boat. We've got this. And if you attempt to go against it, they begin to do all sorts of difficult things to make you leave, or they lie about you and they sabotage you so that you can get fired. I know, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that how it goes? And so what you have to do is recognize old guard don't like to work. That's why they're old. 
Old folks get tired. They run out of ideas. They run out of energy. They run out of zeal. I mean, they get tired. That's why companies every now and then, they just turn it all over. First of all, it's cheaper to turn it over because you can pay new people less money. So that's why they turn it all over. But if you're talking about, and you'll hear your companies when they realize, they'll say, we're going in another direction. Everybody ought to get scared. That phrase, other direction, means that the one that you're squatting on right now, we're just going to leave that as rubble. And you're going to get left behind in the rubble. And we're going in another direction because we want to be profitable or we want to take market share or whatever else we want to do. We want to do something that's going to make it better than what you created. Because, I mean, ultimately, you have to change staff because they will create an environment that will cause their lethargy, indifference, sloth to profit them. But they will erode your profit. So if you say, I need 50 a day, they go around at the lunch table and they say, they want 50 a day. Okay, let me tell you what, if you do 50 a day, that means that you're going to have to hurry up and do that. And then if you do 50 a day, they're going to like you doing 50 a day. So now you can do 100 a day, and then we're going to have to work harder. You're not going to be able to get off early. You're not going to be able to cheat on lunch. You won't be able to cheat on the breaks. I mean, it's a whole lot of loss in obeying them. So here's what we're going to do. We're all going to say we can only do 30 a day. And if we all say it, they'll drop it down. So the company is, is going to have to, you know, 20 a day. So what they do, they want 50 a day, they're going to tell you to do 80 a day. Then, I mean, this is a real interesting ping pong thing, you know, back and forth thing. We're going to do 80 a day. You're going to go and you're going to send the union rep is going to go and say, or the, the spokesperson is going to say, we cannot do 80 a day. That's impossible. Because, you know, that's kind of like um, Israel. No, we're not, no, we're not going to help you. And you're still going to give us the same quota of three. So we're going to do 80 a day, and they're going to say, well, how many can you do? Well, we can do about 50. Good. We can work it. Everybody's happy. Because, hey, the earth is old. Flesh can't change. Devils won't change. And God is this impossible. He's making things change as he wants. And so you have to learn to, uh, to work with that. But if you decide to do your own thing, then you're going to have to decide what you're bringing into it. A lot of this stuff, the reasons your business failed is because you admired something because it was big, because it was old, because it had people, but they were ineffective. And you never read the bottom line of your company. Y'all read the bottom line of your company. You don't know whether the thing is getting ready to be sold tomorrow or not. You don't know. And, and don't assume that what we get in the public record. Okay, number 10, construction. You're buildable. What makes you build something? What makes you bring something from nothing? What makes you do it? By the way, you know, this is on Kindle. You can go and get your Kindle version on the Amazon Kindle people. Now, so what, and also how good are you at building up others? Because we just, we just talked about all of these deteriorating things and these diminishing and demolishing things that, people do to have their way. Remember, everybody, when we say want to have your way, we're saying your will's in charge. Everybody wants to have their way. And quality leaders have got to persuade people to want to go their way. And there has to be advantages. There has to be benefits. 
There has to be motiv- motivators, incentives, all of that in that. Because in the end, you may, you may be, get promoted to something, but that doesn't mean everybody that you're getting promoted over is going to go your way. That's when the sales job really begins. And then we have constitution. You're durable. When, at what point do you tap out, ring the bell, quit? She talked about that this morning. A lot of people aren't even durable enough for success. Your constitution isn't durable enough for success. You're, you can't, uh, you can't, I can't, I can't stay up late. I got to eat at a certain time. I got to eat every two hours. I got, okay, you got a lot to do <laughs> to endure. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus talked about endurance, because he knows people are not able to endure, okay? They just aren't. They don't endure to the end. The half of them can't endure to a half of a half day. And we have built a, 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 a population that cannot endure. Cannot. And all you have to do is just tell them that there's a crisis in their house. I'm out. I'm gone. All right? So you have to find out and find your place of endurance. If you, if you crash every time something difficult happens, understand heaven registers that. And so this is what God will say. No, so so and so they so jealous. Yeah, but they don't last long. I know you don't think God thinks like that because you listen to your pastor saying that they, 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 it doesn't matter. Their pastors understand your God built you. That's very different. The person who made the car is going to tell you your car cannot do that under its present state of existence. So you can say, why am I not making it? I think you articulated that very well earlier. Why doesn't God give me harsh uh, bigger things? God's like, because you don't do it. You, you collapse. You fall. You, you ain't, you're not able. You've got to go out. You got, you know, you got some people that just got to go out and play all the time. They just, I can give you three hours, and then I got to play for six. I'm going to give you three days working, and I'm on vacation. Constantly absent. Okay. And so, you know, actually, you don't have a ministry. You have a ministration. Oh. <laughs> Where are you? I'm on ministration. I'm escaping my ministry. Ministration. And you like them little ministrations, you know? I got to escape the work. Yeah, you got a ministration because you certainly cannot do ministry for too long, you know? Y'all know it. And then, you, and then you have the other ones that, again, go back to the fittable. So some of you all, you have to really check yourself. Ask yourself, how often do I leave things undone and what excuses do I use most often for not completing, not enduring, not measuring up, whatever you want to say? How often? Some of you all don't realize you trained your body. Baby, you get pressure, your allergies are coming. I'm telling you, allergies coming. And, and, and see, the enemy knows that allergies are what, it, what gets you off your task. And so, so, so there, there are, listen, you have these literal code words, long hours, <laughs> overtime, doctor's appointment. Okay, hard work. Got to play. Yes, and you don't realize that, that you have decreed long ago that you would never be thoroughly successful in life. Jesus. You decreed that a long time ago, and your will is doing its job. It's working it. Oh, no, we don't do that. 
and, and, it, and it's really smart. Sometimes it realizes that you get off script and it just go on without you. Yeah. That's impulse and reflex. It just, you know, you were like, well, I'm going to try to make it. I'm going to try. You were like, well, no, I'm not. And also, you stage all kinds of things. If it's family, you will always, always have somebody. It's, it's the, uh, the, the unseen world is so good at what it does, it makes us think we're in control. And we literally are 85 to 90% victims thereof. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, competency. You're sustainable. How how good are you at holding the line, at delivering the same way, at doing the job the same way? You can do the job. You know, Jesus said that. He said there's 30, 60, and 100. But do you know that the, uh, uh, the other version of that says 100, 60, and 30? Escalating and de-escalating. So you don't realize that you you're, you might, all your days, you you plan to be a 60%er because you need that 40% to play. Okay. And whatever will give you that 40%, you're going to play. Hmm. Or you need the 60% to play. I just think the numbers are very interesting, you know? I think they're very interesting. And so you have to look at yourself. How often do you do it? Now, what you are forced to do or not do on your job is one thing, but most, most things are trying to work for Jesus and needing the wife firing. Because Jesus is the original, I'm going to keep what bears me fruit. Told you, God's a fruit man. Two things you read in the Bible all the time, fruit and profit, P-R-O-F-I-T. We're so caught up in P-R-O-P-H-E-T, we don't realize that even they must be profitable. So the prophet must be profitable. And so God is a prophet God. He cursed barrenness. And we don't tell you that. Now, barrenness, you feel, everybody feels like their form of barrenness is not under the curse. Wow. 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 Isn't it the truth? You know, well, no, but I have a reason. Well, no, this is why I'm doing it. Well, no, I'm just waiting for, well, you know, and I mean, and, and, and I think that, you know, People fuss about women in ministry and why we don't have more. Because women cannot be trusted in ministry by and large as a population. Because you're always looking for someone else to do the heavy lifting. And to reward you if you have to lift anything heavy. Come on, girl. You're looking for somebody to rescue you. Women are rescue projects. Now, not all of them, but we have to train you out of the rescue mentality because you got your daddy telling you you need to get somebody. You got your mama telling you that your body is worth nothing until somebody is in it, over it, owning it, okay? You got a whole lot of reasons. So when Jesus wants to do hard things, he knows that you have historically told him you can't. Now, there are some powerful females out there. Hey, girl, hey, come on. Uh, you know, uh. But far too many. You come here and you want you, everything you do for God, you're doing it as a bribe. You're bribing, bribing him with your volunteerism. You're bribing him with your efforts. You're bribing him with your compliance. Because the minute you get what you want, you're gone, and you don't care that his work dies. So then you go through that, and God is cool. He just lets you live it on out. And then you're 35, 40 years old, and them little snotty kids that you said you needed to tear God's work down for are gone. 
in ministry or mission. And you have empty nests. And now you're like, God, I'm ready to do my ministry. God said, right. Which one would that be? And you really think that because he's eternal, you're eternal. So God's outside of time. So you think time didn't pass on your vision and time didn't go by on your destiny and that the years didn't tick away. See, shit, they both. I'm going to have to get a bell myself. See? And so then you sitting here talking about, well, you know, I just, I don't understand why God won't tell me my ministry. Go in your bottom trunk that, you know, that trunk that you, you put all your Jesus stuff in because you had a family now. Because you have a wife now. Because you have to take care of house now. Go in that drawer and, and, and hope you can find the key. Maybe you got a little chest, a little chest of drawers, or maybe just a little trunk. Find the key. Turn it, open the lock. When you open it, you're going to see a whole lot of aged yellow paper. That's when God was talking. And in those journals that you may have gone to periodically when you felt frustrated is what God told you he put you in the planet to do. The reason they're in the trunk under lock and key is because you didn't plan to do it. There are crises in in saints' lives that and, and listen, you know I know y'all be loving on me. Don't y'all just love on Dr. Frank? You better love on me. Cause see, some of you all you're in crises because your the the crises you're in is legal and legitimate. It is binding in the spirit realm because of the generation, because of some folks. Some of y'all did them sorority things. Some of you did the fraternity things. Some of you did, you were horrible kids. You, you brutalized somebody as a kid. So all of those, those things came, root, came home to roost, and they're legal. Had you been in ministry, you would have given God a reason to supersede them. You gave him nothing to work with, no reason to say to Satan, no. Because what does he say? If you look at what he said, is this not a brand I plucked out of the fire? So God plucks people out of these things, out of these courses of life. So he plucked them out. And so had you not been so in love with your romantic idea and the divinatory spirit that talked you into saying, God doesn't mind, you can always do that, you can do it at 60. Come on, if I need a basketball team, I'm not going to somebody 60 years old. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to assume your bones can't handle it. That's an assumption. Because they can't. Because, you know, some bones be trying to get up and down stairs and a few more trying to get in and out of the base. <laughs> so I'm thinking running a, running a basketball court is pretty much out. I'm pretty much out the place. <laughs> but that's what God had called you to do when you were young and for you to have a great legacy. Yep. Your family is important, and everybody who says it is real. But I don't read in the Bible one person who got an eternal reward on their family because it was their reasonable service. Your reasonable service is very different than your destiny service. There are times they're one and the same. But for the most part, there is a difference between what God is causing you to bear fruit for in his future versus what you're looking to bear fruit for in your present. 
See, no, if, if I don't do much else, I know that I've got uh, these folks who've been with me, they're, all this, they're going to keep God's vision going. You raise kids that don't even like God. I don't even like God. You got kids that won't go to church, don't like God, don't want to do church, don't want to do ministry, don't want to talk about Jesus. They want to go and play with the world. And, and some kids are called to that, so don't get crazy. You know, we need somebody out there to bring them in. But my point to you is that there are reasons that, uh, that if your family is going through that are legitimate. They are not legitimate in the term of your cause and effect but they are legitimate in the covenantal strata of God's realm. Mm. Mm. Because when you cut up, Satan cuts covenant with you and the spirit that he sent to seduce you. I'm writing an article now on the epidemic of the Christian church. I'm writing it right now. Yeah, we're going to talk about because everybody thinks that this is no, new and novel. No, no, it's public because we got more ways to find it out. But you don't even know when your minister get ready to fall. So that's what it's going to talk about. It's going to tell you how to know when your minister is getting ready to fall, has fallen. Oh, she, she, I don't, she's ready to, I don't have, I got, I got a bell. Hit that liberty bell. Go ahead, girl. Because we're talking about epidemic, pandemic, but see, we, the sexdemic predates them all. And so we're going to talk about that. That article, I, I guess I'm going to be finished by next week. But the point that I want you to get is in there is covenant. Everything that happens in the natural realm has a spiritual impetus, and that is covenantal. Some of these things, like there are those of you that, that I'm looking at a lot of people, a lot of ministers, you're like, boy, man, I'm, I'm, God is growing me. I'm going to be great. God will never lose, use you in his judicial capacity. You know why he won't use you in his judicial capacity? Because you can't render right judgment. He said to me this morning, Apostle Ash, I was getting dressed, and he said to me this morning, he said, he said, you know, because, you know, there's a lot in the Saul story. He said, but the Saul Samuel thing, where Saul did not get rid of all of the, the, the pagan artifacts that he had taken as spoils from war. He did not get rid of them, but he also said something else. He said, but Saul broke my word. I couldn't let him continue to lead my people with my full strength and support because he could not render good judgment. And I was like, okay, so God, I'm, I'm you know, getting ready to have this. He said, Case in point, he said all of these leaders that think they're being compassionate to the falling preachers, that raggedy prophet, that nasty evangelist, that he said, you don't recognize that you are breaking my word, and you are altering my judgment, and you're rendering good for the evil they've done to me. And so we're going to see over the next five to ten years, you're going to see a lot of people have very weird um, harvest on their work and their ministry because God is like, but I said this was sin. Who are you to say it isn't? I said they betrayed me. Who are you to say that they did and then reward them for betraying me? You think I'm going to back you, but I'm not going to back you, says the Holy Ghost. I'm going to let you get out there. So I went to God and I said, well, God, you know, what happens under these situations when it looks this way? He said, I let them. He said, did I not let Saul get big enough for my judgment to count? For it to matter. So hitting a person, hitting a newcomer is one thing, but hitting somebody with five corporations, that's a whole other story. And God's a mighty God. 
And so he told me, he said, this whole, even those pastors, yeah, but I just don't want to say anything, and I didn't want to do it, but I just felt they should have a second chance. You're not God. You don't know if that wasn't their last chance. And you have written yourself in their judgment. And your, you and your family, household, whichever it is, corporation, business, whatever, you're going to feel it. And you're going to feel it because you, God, God trusted he put Saul in position to deal with his enemies and to deal with his adversity. Those are two things you need to know God is looking about with all of his leadership. In position to deal with his enemies and his adversity. And we, and when, so when you decide to actually behave as a parent who wants to indulge a kid for what they were breaking a bowl at home, when in fact this people have, this person has broken a lot of hearts, you ain't got it gonna have an issue. I promise you by the spirit of God. Let me tell you, I mean it. You're going to have an issue. I'm going to keep saying it. And you know why I keep saying it? Because I've got scriptural proof. You don't have proof of God overlooking sin. Jeremiah said from the beginning of time, prophets must, apostles must keep the flow and the judicial order of the Holy Ghost. And so God, because if you look in the Bible, there are times that God said, I want you to kill everything. Because you're a nation. I want you to kill everything. I don't want any of it around. I'm sick of looking at it on my planet. And then at other times, you look at an Aiken with the incursed thing. Whole nation under calamity. A lot of churches are in trouble because you didn't deal with the mess that was brewing when it was seen. And I'm telling you, there are a lot of times that I want to say, okay, I'm going to just, God is like, no. We recently had a situation where I was getting ready to just kind of, you know, okay, God, it doesn't matter. Whatever. It will when, I, when you get to the seat I put you in. See, God may not mess with you now because you're rising, but when you get in your seat, he's going to humiliate you. You can rest assured he's going to embarrass you. And in the beginning, it's going to look like he's hitting you for nothing. Mm. Wow. Isn't it? Yeah. And only you and him will know unless he sends a prophet like he did with Nathan. Yeah. He sent the prophet. It was a while. I mean, come on, the baby was a kid. It was no longer an infant. And it sent, God sent the prophet to, because he wants to make sure that he gets maximum effect on our nonsense. <laughs> because he's, it's got to make the record for the future generation. So a lot of you all, you took in wayward leaders, and that's why, look at the man has got to show his trace. Now, you know, took in these wayward leaders. You decided that that leader was not as good as you as a leader. You did all of that, and I want you to know, before you get to the peak of where you're going to go, because that's the hand of God now. So don't assume, you know, he said to me one time, when we had this discussion going back one time, and, God, and somebody said to me, well, God told me to do this. I'm like, God, that's kind of crazy. I mean, you ever have people say God told folks to do something crazy? And you're like, but God, that's just crazy. I mean, you know, he said, just because I say, say yes doesn't mean I say bless. Just because God tells you it's a yes, don't think, don't conclude or assume that it means it's something he will bless. Because there are a lot of times God says yes for judgment. And he will move people to do all sorts of amazing things. He will throw all sorts of great, great things in their lives, in their way. Is this all right? Yeah. How y'all doing? Social media? How you doing? Huh? (laughs) (laughs) 
And so, so, and that's the job of a of God's high official to know whether the yes is a bless or the yes is a judgment meant to bring law, to magnify law. Because kitchen, you now you got five people, nobody really cares. And when you got five hundred. And all of the the uh, accoutrements that go with it, yeah, that's something different. And God can wait until it's big enough to hurt you. David, counting, David did the center, counted the people. Now, in our mind, David has been able to count people for a long time, but it was something about that center that we need to explore. And he really was counting, like Moses, shall we bring water from the rock? He's like, he's counting, I want, I want to see how many people... My kingdom, I got, and and okay, so he had that moment. Count the people, and the Bible says Satan moved him. Now David is no stranger to Satan, so he should have known where that came from, and it took his assistant to tell him, you know, that 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 wasn't good, you know. And he didn't even want to do it. And they went out because they had to obey the king. He went out, but he couldn't even finish it because he knew it stunk. He said, something is wrong with this. And this is the same spirit that was on David when he slept with Bathsheba. I'm the man. I'm the big guy. I'm the king. I can do what I want. And so he goes and he counts it. But God knows something about a real shepherd. And what God knows about a real shepherd is that sheep are all in their guts. And God knew. So they, he asked him, what to do? You want to flee from your enemies? You want to lose as many battles? What do you want to do? Okay? Because I'm going to do something to you. What people don't realize is God's got to keep checks and balance. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. Yeah. Now, just because your brain can't hold on to it, your <laughs> mind can't, can't fathom it, doesn't matter. God's got more than you to deal with. See, some of these things that you all do, God said that you brought me to open shame in front of my enemies. You made me look weak in front of my enemies. You taught my people that sin is righteousness. You let folks think I don't deal with my issues. So David goes and, and Nathan comes to, to count and to do it. And then, you know what he said? He said, I'm going to fall on the mercy of God. Who knew what God, God understood David? Because, see, he called David because David was a shepherd of the flock. And he was tending the flock. And God sent that angel on the earth. It looked like a plague. On the earth, it looked like a virus, but in heaven, it was an angel. And that angel drew his sword. 70,000 people in his realm died. And, and he's the only one that knew that it wasn't a natural. He knew that God took his people out because he rose up in his ego above the Almighty. And so, and God opened, see, and David knew, because, you know, when you sit high in God, there, the two worlds are almost open to you. You're kind of like, oh, mm. And so he, he's looking at this angel in the heaven above his people. I'm a shepherd. He loves them. These are my sheep. Oh, and he's watching these 70,000 people. And they only counted 70,000 people. But let's talk about the families. Let's talk about the poverty. Let's talk about the lack. Let's talk about the the, uh, the orphanhood and the widowhood and all of that. Because, see, 70,000 sounds like, mm, you know, what's a few million of them? It's not so bad. But the cascading effect, the rippling effect of the loss of a loved one, head of house, head of state, head of nation, head of uh, his other, uh, other territories, all of that was hit because his ego 
took him out. And it says that he he was watching this angel. He said, but Lord, it was my sin. These, these here, what did they do? These, these sheep, what did they do? Well, if you read the story in the beginning, everybody was wrong in that picture. That's why I said it's legal. Because in the beginning, it said God, Israel had made God mad. And God was wanted to get Israel, but he couldn't get all of the people until he got the leaders. So he had to get the leader because it was a legal issue. And it was a legal judgment and a legal proceeding. And so the proceeding was to get David to be the conduit and the catalyst for him to deal with the sin that had taken hold of his nation. This is extremely insightful. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, because the thing that people don't realize about God, God is like, if God wants to have a contest, he's got to raise up his opponent. Our opponents just look it up, get envious, and want to get us. Not his. He's like, I, I feel like I want to have a little contest, so he's going to raise up his opponent. I got to whip up an opponent because I feel like I want to have a contest. Okay? God wants to clear up the, the problem in one region. He's got to raise up another region and make it stronger than the region with the problem. So God was sick of Israel cutting up on him. So what did he do? He, t- he said, I'm going to send a bitter, hasty nation against you. Jesus. <laughs> Don't you love it? Second Samuel, David, David talked about how to lead at the end of it. And he said, we must lead in the fear of the Lord. And he said that we must lead and those that rule over us men must be Faithful. Let's go there because I want to see that before I give you these last three. See, and, and the reason I I teach this is because there are people asking God questions. Yeah. You know, you can say I don't like how she teaches this. I think it's harsh. You could say that, but there are people who want to get it right. And if, and, and how could they hear unless there be a preacher? Yeah. Now, how will they know what's wrong unless somebody says it? They've got to hear it broadcasted. So you may not like it, and you may be right not to like it because it may not pertain to you. You may not be big. You may just be a household family. You may just be somebody who's, you know, winning some bread for your family every day, taking them on vacation. But there are people who want to know, God, how did we get here? God, what brought us here? Lord, what can we do about it? They want to understand we serve God because you thought what you were told was serving God was the mind of God. And so what you had was the mind of men using the word of God. My God. Can I say it like that? So, you know, when people start telling me, well, you know what, I mean, but you are just hard. I'm hard for the people with the hard job. Now, if you don't have a hard job, get over there with the soft phone. You know, the one that milk, okay, you can't even get it in your mouth because it's all running down your arm. But I just want you to hear me because I used to, I mean, people used to bang me around with that all the time. And then 
You know, I said, but God, uh, I said, I'm stuck because I don't know what to do. I'm trying my best to, you know, saying, Lord, what do I say? And I'm trying to soften it up. He said, I didn't send you to them. Every minister has an audience. Every minister has a population. Everyone has a particular group that God is tending through their calling. Can I say that like that? Because I need you to understand that God is doing this. I want to get to the one that says, that says. So, and so when you hear, me, hear different people speak, don't try to lump us up into one thing. We're not, a, we're not all the exact same thing. We all come from the same God, but we come from different parts of him, and we have different purposes that go along with his duties and responsibilities. So stop that and stop writing me stupid. Don't do that. I'm not, I'm, I, if, it, if it doesn't fit you, just it's all right. It's for somebody else. But there are people, there are families who, who everybody in their family is dying. They don't know why. Their family that they can't give birth to a healthy kid. They don't know why. Their family and leaders who have worked hard, and yet they don't know why. It looks like the harvest on their well-intentioned efforts is negative. There are people who can't get a breakthrough no matter what they do, and they don't know why. And sometimes God can't answer you because you don't have the words of the answer that he needs in your prayer. I want you to know that. And so, I mean, and I think about that because these are these are things that God taught me, and he taught me over and over again. And, and, I, and he said to me, Paula, I am not. I may be one God, but I don't have a single responsibility. And some of you all, you've been taught, your pastor has a single responsibility, one flock. Okay, even if they have a lot, they're still under the same mantle. Not the Almighty. And I want you to hear this because this is important. Second Samuel 23.3, I knew it was going to come up. I had to get there to it. Amen. Did I do it? I want you to read this because this is one of the lessons. God gave me two, two things, and I want to share this. Don't have a lot of time. I'm going to share these two. 23.3. I probably need a little help. Now, it says here, 2 Samuel 23.3, it says, Now, these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, now it's important that they thought it was, that we need to put all of those attributes and those um, descriptions in there. And it says, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me. You know how people say the Holy Spirit is not in the Old Testament? Okay. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. He that rules over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God are churches, these leaders, for God. And when he is, this is what he said, and he shall be as the, oh, they added he shall be, but and, and, and as the light of the morning, when the sun rises, even a morning without clouds. Now, you know how it is to wake up on a day when there is, the sky is so blue and the, the, it's beautiful. That's what a real a leader creates environmentally, spiritually, okay, socially, institutionally for those who rule in the fear of God. 
So then when you walk around all foggy, I don't know what they're doing. I don't understand. And I claim. As the tender grass springing out of the earth, which means they're fruitful, you always have the green grass environment by the clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God. David knew I didn't measure up. Yet he has made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. So God is telling David, David knew how to rule, but he said, I didn't always hit it. And he said, I didn't, but what he also said was that I didn't pass it on. I didn't pass. He said, although my house be not so. His, his successor Solomon ended up what? Doing worse to the country than he did. But David said that doesn't mean that God is wrong or that God's way is going to be celebrated when it's perverted. And he goes on, but the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns. And he goes on to tell you that uh, what's all about. You should read it all. And then the other thing that everybody, every leader in Christ should know, because you're trying to answer questions for people that don't make sense. And, and it doesn't make sense because God looks like the way the way we teach. First of all, we kind of cut and paste things and lift it out of context and all of that. But when I read this, you read Second Cham, Second Samuel chapter seven. Every leader should read this because this is so powerful. Because David, this is the account where David wanted to build God a house, and God was like, "No, you've been a man. You're a man." of war, and you shed innocent blood, and he's like, because my house is not going to be be built on the blood of the rejected. It's got to be built on the blood of the accepted, and you killed Uriah, okay? Hmm. We think God just glosses over stuff because we just, okay? And then, and so God answers him. I want to read to you verse 12 because the rest of it is wonderful, but read verse 12 and, and, and see what's going on here. And when uh, when thy days are they, when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of, the, of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. So I'm gonna set up your seed, but it's a him, not a them. He said, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Ever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Because, you know, people argue about Jesus. He said, but I'm going to be his father. And he says this over and over again throughout Scripture. If he could not hear me, if he, because remember the, the, the account I gave you about the 70,000 killed. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. So God likens leaders, because we're all given bodies, because, I mean, we call deaf people drawn to us. He actually likens leaders and their followers as a single being. That's why he said, if he, you know, Jesus wasn't going to commit iniquity. So what is he talking about? He's talking about his seed. He's talking about his offspring. And he said, because a lot of folk are like, I just don't understand. Sometimes you got these crazy legal issues and whatnot, and you don't know how to even repent. So you say, well, God, I just repent for everything I ever did. No, that, that doesn't work. That, no, no. I need you to understand that you must seek me for the thing that established this covenant with darkness in this contract that obliged me to 
pull back my hand and surrender you. Now, I'm going to end it on this word because I only have a little bit of time. Are you okay? Come back. For those of you who want to say with Dr. Price, that is your opinion. I don't see it. Or those of you who really want to act like God is schizophrenic, that's the Old Testament, not the New Testament. So we can see it on several occasions. My personal favorite, you know, is Saul, God and Saul, and Jesus. Simon, Simon. Satan has desired you to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brother. Hold on, because that that, that destroys every word of faith idea ever. Because I've heard very few, some, but very few preachers said, but why didn't Jesus say no? He's under the blood, right? No, but he's God's guy. He's going to be the head of the Jerusalem, right? Why didn't Jesus say no? Business. Eternal business was happening there. And something about Satan, like it was about Job, see, Job's Old Testament, Peter, New Testament. So something about Job actually said Satan had a right to petition God for him. Something about Peter, who was about to become a most powerful man, said Satan had a right to petition. When you read Peter's actions and reactions to Jesus' disclosures about himself and his mission, it becomes a little clear. But he said something. Jesus said, he didn't say, I told him no because, you know, you're my, you're my guy, you're my boy. I mean, I can't give him that. No, he didn't say that. He said, but I prayed for you. I prayed. Before I go to the cross, before I go to the grave, I prayed for you. Because we hear about Jesus, but you understand that two men had three dark days. One was earned and the other was given. And so Peter, Jesus didn't stop Satan from tempting Peter. He didn't stop Satan from tempting him. So if you're going to have a large ministry or you're going to have a strong ministry, you need to understand that you've got to clear with all God's creatures, all God's powers. You've got to clear it with every single one of them. And Satan is the better. You may not like it. You may not. Whatever you heard a whole lot of things because y'all sat in them churches. He, he, he's under my feet. I'm crushing me. A devil. Uh-uh. That's not true. That is not true. You've got to clear. If you're going to go high, you've got to be cleared by all God's powers, the light and the darkness. And you're going to have to give up something. The higher you're called to be, the higher the price of you getting there. So you're not just going to get up there because you threw some coins in a basket. You're not going to get up there because you made some cake. In order for Jesus, Jesus said, ought not the Son of Man have suffered to enter into his glory? And you who have suffered with me will also reign with me. So Satan asked for Peter, and he didn't even bother asking for Paul. He just started beating him and never stopped. 
Paul said, I killed Christian Christians. A message of Satan was sent to buffet me, lest I be lifted up, exhausted above what I ought. You need to read your Bible so you can stop vilifying God for stuff that is legal and is righteous in his eyes. That is why we need mercy, because his judicial system is fixed. We need mercy for him to, uh, to supersede the righteousness that he already imputed when he shut everybody out of sin. We need mercy. We need forgiveness. We need God to be daddy. We need the blood of the lamb. But don't ever tell God he's wrong. And I know that you all listen, watching all of those little movies and carrying on, shaking your fist at him like you did everything right 24-7. I'm a good person. You good for earth. Are you good enough for eternity? Because they have a whole different standard and brand of goodness. And it's not all that we think it is. But we'll talk about that as I continue to dig into the spirit of God, that we begin to understand the mind and really the soul of the Almighty. See, we don't teach about his soul. He said, but if any man draw back, my soul will have no pleasure in me. Y'all okay? Are they they okay? Got any good comments on my Facebook? I want you to understand, if you're going to sit in a high seat representing God, (laughs) if we're going to sit in a high seat, then you have to be as God is. And that's what we miss. We have to be as he is, not as we were. As he is. We have got to be that in God's realm in order to represent him and in order for people to have the right impression of him. Represent is to bring back the presence of. That's our job. So I just thank God for you. Did you want to have a comment? You can have a comment. Look at this thing. No comment. LSCW said, this is so powerful that I am sweating. (laughs) I like loving. We are not okay. (laughs) We We are are not not okay. okay. (laughs) We need to go back and listen to this about three more times. There was a lot. There was a lot. A lot to think about. A lot of decisions to make. A lot of changes. Yeah. I didn't even finish all my abode. But you're still finished. Just a book, Assessing Your Prophetic Self, and page 154 is where you want to just look at those uh, human capital because, and we like to think that that's just church. If you notice, I said a lot of scriptures, but do you understand the church didn't exist when he said Satan has desired you? And I want to remind everybody that you can get the highlighted product, the Prophets Ministry Starter Kit, which should mean a lot more to you than it did when we announced this at the beginning of the broadcast. This should mean a lot more. <laughs> and the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute is June 16th through the 19th, right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And our one and only governor, Kevin Stitt, lifted the COVID restrictions on gatherings. Not that we ever cared, but I'm just saying that. Go, uh, <laughs> Governor! That has been lifted on public gatherings and events and everything like that. So come on in. Because you know what? We still believe in the blood of the Lamb. 
Okay, we still believe if I can still if I can cast if I can cure cancer by the word of God in prayer, I'm thinking I can handle something else. I'm just saying something else. I just want you all to know, please go to my site, get the the offering of this week. If you're a leader or a mentor, gather your people and walk through this. The the, the former things are no more, and that which was is no more. You need to understand how God has moved. He's changed the era. And you need to know how he's moved and prepare your people to succeed in him in the future. We're all talking about the failures, but now we have an opportunity to prepare them to succeed. See, you stand there at the congregation of the mighty where God stands. Bless his holy heart. Hallelujah. Sugar pie, Jesus. I'd be loving on that man. You know, he's so sweet. I'm telling you, and I love the fact that he's almighty and sweet. Nobody ever puts those two together. I do. Almighty, sweet I am. I will see you then. So see. Share this and so see. Y'all should be wanting so see to me now because I've got some captives free. Shouted some yokes. Got some people just, you know, delivered. So sow some see and we'll see you then. God bless. You want to say goodbye? She said she has nothing else. Say goodbye. Y'all, they couldn't even say goodbye. Y'all, all y'all in shock. They can't.